Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Sean. On today's episode, I was pleased to welcome back to the show, Scott Jeffrey Miller, to talk about his book, Marketing Mess to Brand Success. So Scott was on the show previously to talk about management mess to leadership success, and he and I dig into how the book is tailored for marketers, but really it's a book about leadership principles. You can apply it to your life. You can apply it to everything that you're doing. It's got a lot of great wisdom. We dig into the book. I'm excited for you to hear it. First, I do want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Snuffy. Snuffy's a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y.co. The owner and operator of Snuffy is Nick Silvestri, designed the Detox Podcast logo. So if you like it, want to go support him, go check it out, snuffy.co. And brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, if this is your first time coming to the podcast, welcome. I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. I hope you're able to kick back, relax, and get a perspective that you may not normally get, and that you're able to just detox from the world around you. If you are a regular listener, welcome back to the show. We are so thankful to have you here, and I'm excited for you to hear Scott's story. Now, if what you hear you enjoy, please make sure and go rate, review the podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend. It really helps out independent podcasts like this one. So without further ado, my conversation with Scott Jeffrey Miller will be right up after this. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw, and I host the music podcast After the Encore. After the Encore is a long-form career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists. Musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, and Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, or even artists that were featured on the TV show, The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family, Check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I'm so happy he's returned to the show, Mr. Scott Jeffrey Miller had to say all three just to really drive it home. How are you doing today? Joe, I'm awesome. And I appreciate you bringing me back on and sharing your platform with me and turning your spotlight onto 
my work. I'm grateful. I am excited. There's a lot to talk about. I want to dive in, but I do want to start the conversation. So here at the Detox Podcast, as a reminder, we are a podcast where we invite people to detox from the world around them, get a window into other people's soul, and just kind of kick back, relax, and learn something new. We're trying to make a more inclusive world. So with that said, I want to level set and say, Scott, what are you currently detoxing from? Children. (laughs) They're downstairs watching a movie. My wife and I are taking our three boys to Mexico in July. And so can you believe we have a 930 passport appointment tonight? Oh, no. Wow. Passport's office is open until 930 at night. So we're taking a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an 11-year-old. At nine o'clock, can you imagine what school's like gonna be like tomorrow morning? Trying That's to what wake I, them up. That was the next thing out of my mouth. Was it is a what? school night? <laughs> can I tell you, my wife and I run such a tight ship. Our children are never outside of the house in the dark. I, I mean, believe, that sounds yeah. that sounds a little bit much. I mean, they're never like out in cars at sure. you know yeah. nine p.m. at night, right? We have bedtimes. We're pretty strict. Well, a few weeks ago, we were driving home from a, a dinner party in Park City around ten thirty, and my boys were marveling at all the lights on in buildings. So it felt like like daddy. What are those lights? We're like, man, that's an office building. They've never been out at night. <laughs> we live in Afghanistan, right? Right. right. <laughs> Pretty much. It's so interesting to me when the time changes and my kids are negotiating to stay up later and later because, you know, they're like, well, it's still light outside. So oh. ergo, I should be up. And I'm like, no, no. No, no, it is it is the summer. This it will be light out uh, at sometimes till like nine. So no, Joe, <laughs> you've not discovered the joy of blackout curtains. We just got some. I will like okay. full disclosure. Just got some to 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 mitigate most of those conversations. But my wife and I have a routine. We distract the kids downstairs. One of us goes up and close to the curtain and tapes them to the wall. Oh, so yeah. there's no cheating at all. They think they've gone from you know. Twilight zone to the dark. <laughs> that's the way to do it. That's that's a parenting hack right there. Thank you, brother. Sure, Thank for you. For sure. I love it. Well, I'm excited to dig into your latest book, Marketing Mess to Brand Success. I want to start out by just kind of highlighting. So the last time you were on the show, we talked about management mess to leadership success. And one of the things that uh, continue to stick with me. So I, we were talking a little bit before we went on and it your book and the advice in it really helped me both personally and professionally. And one of the pieces of advice that continues to stick with me to the point that I've quoted it, not even in just parenting conversations where I've used it quite a bit, but just with others, with colleagues and and different folks is when I've said the difference between wrong news and bad news, where it was mm-hmm. like bad news, you know, it's going to happen. Things are going to go south, but we are prepped for that. We are set up for that. We know how to react to that. But wrong news, if we're reacting to a situation that we don't, that we're un- prepared for because we were given the wrong setup, then we're just set up for failure. And so that is something I've consistently talked about, especially with my kids, where I've said, look, I can handle if something goes, you know, if there's bad news, if something happens, it's okay, we will recover. But wrong news, like I can't, I can't react to that properly because you're not giving me the proper information. So it just, just like a quick plug for those who may be on the fence, go get Marketing Mess as well our management mess as well as marketing mess, and then go back and listen to the last. Just episode. get all the messes. Get all. Of I got it. all the messes covered. <laughs> right. I got I got job mess coming out. Yes. Communication mess, parenting mess. Just yes. I'm a mess. Just come to me. <laughs> but you know what, Joe? I love that thought because it's true. I think as leaders, especially in the workplace, right, is our job is to often handle bad news. Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to receive wrong news. Right. Because wrong news either means you're lying, 
making it up or you're not competent because you didn't go out and actually research it. So don't bring me wrong news. And I've actually, I don't want to use the word trained. Sure. But I've trained everyone that works with and for me that I'm not going to blow up. I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm not going to, you know, throw a tantrum if you bring me bad news. I'm more likely to lose my cool if you bring me wrong news. Right. My job is to handle bad news. Your job is not to give me wrong news. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, I think that's a good setup for segueing into marketing mess because one of the things that, you know, you bring up at the beginning of the book, and it was something that I noticed as well and others bring up, is the authenticity around owning your mess. I think it is, there's something so relatable when you're writing a book uh, and someone is just like, yeah, I messed up and here's how I messed up and here's how I improved upon that. And here's how you can understand this and not make the same mistake that I made. It's very, it's interesting. I was, I was doing an interview with uh, Bobby Warshaw, who did a sports mem- memoir. He was a former soccer player and he talked about, he wanted to write a memoir that was about his real nitty gritty experience. Wasn't all sunshines and roses. There were some rough times. And he said he wrote the book he wished he had had when he mm-hmm. was becoming a professional athlete. Cause all he saw was like the Michael Jordans and others who were like the top of their game and not any kind of the everyman struggling to to get to the next level. So I equate your books with the like, yeah, here's the realness, here's the rawness. And so from your perspective, how did you decide to take the idea of owning your mess from a management mess perspective and extrapolate that out into a series? You know, I have to give credit to my colleague, Drew Young. So I'm 52, former CMO, executive officer in a company. I'd love to take credit for it. But can I tell you, it was my 23-year-old assistant at the time that I wrote three or four different books. And my, my assistant said to me in college, he says, you know, you want to write a whole series about your messes. And he had a couple of ideas. And I thought, that's genius. So literally after, you know, 30 years as a, you know, global public CMO in a company, it was my assistant just out of college who had never had a corporate job in his life. It was his idea. And I share that credit freely with Drew Young. So I think there's a lesson in there. And the lesson is humility. The lesson is vulnerability. The lesson is be open to be influenced sometimes by those that you might otherwise, you know, relegate. To, You'll learn from me. You know nothing. I'll I'll teach you. Right. It was it was Drew who had the idea. Now I have, of course, run with it and spent thousands of hours writing the books sure. and publicizing and funding them. Right. And but the, the publisher caught on to the idea. There are going to be there will be ten books over 10 years in the message success genre. I've got two more coming out in the next 14 months, but I give him credit for the idea. Be open to influence sometimes from those who you suspect it or might not appreciate it the most from. That's a good point. And I think it ties back into the the lesson where you talk about don't get so ingrained in your own yeah. jargon and corporate speak yeah. that you lose sight of the way your customer speaks, right? So you you reference having someone come in from the outside to help with this large scale Franklin Covey event, right? And so you get done going through the script and the talking points and everything, and you look over thinking she'll be impressed, and she's just like, nobody speaks like that. What are you doing? And, it, and it's in those moments where you realize, well, ouch, that hurts. But then also, like, oh, you might be right about this. I'm. We might be so buried in the corporate speak that we're saying stewardship instead of responsibilities, right? 
<laughs> you are being kind in how you're delivering the story, but you're right. I mean, like any company, I had been here 20, then like 23 years. I'm yeah. my 25th year now. And I was using words like stewardship to, re- to describe what your job was. And she said, what is this, a church term? I mean, <laughs> who calls your job stewardship? Yeah. Like, what is this place? Right. Now, we're a public company. There's no religion, you know, out, out, all and on and on. Right, but right, right. The point is, it's challenge 21. All my books have 30 challenges, yes. right? Genius or not, they have 30 challenges. This is challenge, actually challenge 21, speak their language. Mm-hmm. And as a marketer, for that matter, regardless of what role you're in, recognize how quickly you get caught up in your own company jargon, what you may call leadership, someone else might call productivity, right? What you call circumstance, someone else might call serendipity. Yes. And be willing to speak not just your own language, but that of your customer. Yes. Make sure that you're speaking the language. What, what, what problem are they solving? How do they describe it? And make sure that all of your materials, your web, your email, your po- everything as much as possible. Yeah. In the language of your, your client, your vendor, your community, outside of your ensconced colleagues. I like the story you bring up where you are call- being called out for using corporate terms in on the ski slopes because I, I related so hard to that because I found myself the other night when we're, I'm, we're dialoguing as a family and we're discussing something about the day and we're trying to like like figure out a solution to something. And I just said, hold on, it sounds like we're doing a lot of solutioning here. And what we really need to do is figure out what our next steps are and our takeaways. And I went, oh no, um, I'm in work mode, but it oh. is not work. <laughs> I just love that you called it dialoguing. Yes, There's oh, been no yes, dialoguing in my home ever. <laughs> my children say, what? Dialoguing? <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. I had some friends from the UK come over for a ski trip, and they heard me saying terms like synergize, and I want to add value. Like, how do you work I want to add value in on a ski slope? Well, if anybody could, I did, and they called me out and said, we're tired of your work stuff. Can we just check out? <laughs> they were right. Yeah. They were right. <laughs> you know, one of the, like you mentioned, the 30 different challenges, there's so many good gems that folks Thank definitely, you. yes, need to to pick up. What struck me as interesting was challenge 24 about the the responsible resurgence of print. And yeah. it, it was interesting to me because I, I was... I wouldn't say skeptical, but I was a little unsure if I would agree. Just looking at the title, guessing what it was going to be about, I was uncertain if I was going to agree with the what I thought was going to be the premise of physical print is more relevant than digital media as far as marketing out to potential customers, potential clients. But after reading it and talking about the hundreds of spam emails we get every day and the, the website banners and the targeted ads and all of that stuff versus walking out to my mailbox and individually looking through all of the pieces of spam, even though knowing there's only junk in here, but carefully looking through, opening them, reading it page to page, and then discarding of it the proper way, I realized, yes, this is absolutely right. I am more likely because a lot of it's become digital white noise. And so how do folks kind of cut through the clutter of that to have an effective marketing presence in this world? Uh, I think it's all situational, right? I mean, I don't by any chance, any stretch in the book, talk about how you should be out, you know, dropping millions of postcards, mailing shampoo samples to your clients. Maybe you should, right? (laughs) 
uh, understand your circumstance. What I do talk about is what you just said, which is, you know, most email now is auto-generated often by AI, yes. right? And it's all run by marketing automation machines and it's all been written as if they're our best friend. And, and then as soon as you open it, then it's an automatic email that comes back to you to say, I hope you enjoyed it. And no, you're not talking to anybody, right? It's all machine learning and it's all AI. Yes. And that's fine. You're not building rapport. You might be building a sales funnel. I get all of that, right? But sure. my point in the chapter was, you know, in the midst of an onslaught of digital communication, I now receive more Facebook messages, LinkedIn email and messages, and I do email. And I get about 400 email a day. Oof. I get more than that, right? I had someone, I don't know her name, but I had the president of the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. Go figure. Lovely lady, send me an email um, complimenting me on the podcast that I host. Yep. I saw it today. It came in like nine days ago. I was searching for a different document in my email, and the CEO, the president of the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation, had sent me a complimentary email like nine days ago. Had I not been looking in my email from like a week yep. and a half ago, I never would have missed it. I would never have seen it. Right. Had she sent me a thank you note in the mail, I guarantee you I would have seen it. Right. Now, again, there's a whole issue with chasing people and homework and home offices and virtual. And do you sure. have their email address? And, you know, will I even get to them because of security issues? But there is absolutely circumstances still when something in print could have a much bigger impact than digital. Yeah, 100%. And you, you bring up a good point as far as the building rapport because of the fact that <clears throat> I, oh my goodness, I saw it, like I remember trying something out for work related reasons and I it was a it was like a video editing service and I tried it didn't like it didn't jive didn't didn't work with what we wanted to do did not continue it I continued to get messages from them like hey we'd love for you to come back hey we're doing this hey we noticed you stopped working on this product and I'm like yeah because it wasn't what I wanted and it's not and it was like automatic like as soon as I discontinued it it was a generated thing and it, it didn't it didn't build a lot of loyalty to me um, and and it's difficult I think sometimes. And I'm not down on email, neither are you. Right. The fact of the matter is, I probably get four to 500 emails a day. And I'll bet you 93% of them outside the company never make it to my inbox. They go immediately through our spam filter, right? They go to my trash, my clutter, or my assistant who has access to my email sure. goes through them and just deletes things that are going to clutter up my focus, right? That's how we work as a team. She's empowered to delete things. You know, maybe not my inheritance check from my great grandmother, but over beyond that, right? Yeah, it print has a place. Yeah, print has a place, and I and I write in the chapter about the responsible research of the print. Right? Yes. Make sure that if you are using print, that you're using it on you know paper that is recycled times three, and perhaps you have an environmental policy. Perhaps you're planting to offset. There's all kinds of things you can do without sounding opportunistic, but for letting your clients know that you know. You recognize that this has an impact and a footprint and you're doing your share to offset it. Right. No, absolutely. And that that makes me think of the 
the challenge 13 about more is not better, better is better. And I think, you know, it <laughs> it can become a point where folks say, oh, well, we'll just send more emails and more emails and more, more different things and we'll get what we want. But I think the point in that challenge, what's interesting to me is making sure there's quality over quantity. And I think sometimes when we're doing corporate work or whatever type of work that we're in, when we start getting momentum, it can be easy to go, let's do more of this and let's do it broader and let's have a broader focus as opposed to kind of drilling down and being intentional about what work we're trying to achieve, how we're trying to go about it, who are the stakeholders, who are the people involved and getting the desired result. And and I, I, I equate it to falling in love with the problem as opposed to just solutioning out over and over and over again, right? And I'm doing the corporate speak intentionally, but I'm trying to prove a point about wanting to make sure that we're trying to figure out what is the problem, the quote unquote problem. We want to reach people. We want to provide leadership resources, training materials, whatever it is. Okay, great. Now, what is a way to do that that fits in line with our what our customers want and that is also true to what we stand for? And then I think it can be easy to lose sight. So how do people and folks remember to talk about and focus on the better is better as opposed to wanting to do more and more and more? Well, the book is titled Marketing Mess to Brand Success, but it's not a book just for marketers. I right. mean, people that are reading are telling me it's more of a leadership book. It is. Because I don't care if you're in marketing or finance or HR or on your diversity council and product development operations, supply chain, does not matter. Yep. At the end of the day, your reputation is going to come down to the quality of your work. Yes. You know, a friend of mine, Brendan Bouchard, has a, a quote uh, or a, an acronym. He calls it PQO, Prolific Quality Output, PQO. He writes about it in his book, High Performance Habits. And at the end of the day, more is not better. Better is better. And this is a tough one for all of us. I mean, I'm the classic, classic poster child for violating this. I mean, I write an article for Inc. Magazine every week. I host what is now the world's largest leadership podcast. I did three interviews today. I'm writing four books. I have three children and a marriage and, you know, on and on and on. And it's all less quality than it could be if I was building a flywheel around one or two things. Sure. Um, you know, my podcast could be one of the biggest on iTunes right. if I didn't write an ink column. My ink column could be one of the biggest in Ink Magazine if I didn't have bookclub.com. And like a lot of us, you know, I get easily distracted. I have deep issues around needing validation <laughs> that I've yet to have them prescribed by a therapist. Sure. And so the big idea there is the people that make the biggest impact, they resist the temptation to spread their peanut butter too thin. And they have yeah. unprecedented, unnatural discipline and focus on quality yes. versus quantity. And I violate it all the time, but I, but the more I talk about it, the more I recognize, well, maybe I won't renew that column. Maybe I'll stop doing that. Maybe I won't do that book this year because I should focus on this this year. So I, I, uh, it's a mess for me. Yeah. And you know, most, my, most of my books are about helping you navigate your careers through my messes in the hopes that you can see me in the pothole <laughs> and you choose to walk around it while I'm flailing in the pothole, right? <laughs> Call that hypocrisy or call it credibility. One of the two. I'm trying to share the things that I've learned and the things that I've strugg struggled and succeeded with. And so far, it's a good gig. <laughs> I've been working personally on what I've been calling the, the um, 
oh, the intentional pause, right? Like I want yes. to, to react to, yes. to an email or a message or a call, whatever. And I've been learning through different men, through a, like very specific mentor about, hey, let's perhaps step away. Perhaps let's think on this. Perhaps it might solve itself and there's nothing to do. Let's just wait, take a moment. The intentional pause has really helped curb a lot of, of easily distractible situations. Um, the, need, the, the desire to take on more work because I feel that that is what perhaps I may think I want as opposed to what I really want. And that allows me to focus more on the quality of the work that I have as opposed to spreading myself too thin, which I had a habit of doing previously. So I would like to say your messes and learnings have helped me to improve well, upon that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> hardly, hardly. But Joe, I mean, you said that beautifully, right? It's, I love your idea, this kind of intentional pause. Yeah. Dr. Covey, who founded the Franklin Covey Company, talked about it being you know, the space between stimulus and response, right? And really your yeah. brand, your reputation comes in your ability to put space between things that irritate you, people who aggravate you, issues that are your hot buttons by asking yourself, how do I want to show up? How yes. do I want to be remembered here? What do I want the outcome of this to be, right? I think too many marketers, hell, too many humans try to win the battle, but they lose the war. The battle being, you know, this project or your idea and the war being the relationship, your reputation, your brand. Last time I checked, there's only once you can fall on your sword and then you're done. <laughs> so <laughs> choose your swords really carefully. That's so powerful too, because it is so easy to fall into the trappings of doubling down on your thought and your perspective in pick a meeting, right? Any meeting. Usually because of your ego. Yes. Right? Usually yes. your ego. It's 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 like it's 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 it would be easier to double down and go down with the ship <laughs> than to admit, you know what? Maybe I haven't thought this through. Maybe right. I should be open to like who does that? <laughs> and then I think on the on the opposite aspect, you have folks who are struggling to to put their perspective and their opinion out and hold, right? As opposed to in the moment, self-editing and like put out an idea that perhaps is good and, and people are chewing on it, right? And then saying, but you know what? We don't have to go that way. We could go a different way. Perhaps Scott's got a better way. Let's go to Scott. Scott, what do you think? And then removing themselves from the conversation entirely as opposed to, this is my idea. Now I'm going to hit mute on Zoom so I don't, say anything while folks are just like absorbing it. And I think that's, that can be, that is a lesson, you know, that folks can take from this as well of by focusing on the quality, you're also focusing on the quality of the words in which you're choosing. Wait, is this a marriage podcast? Right. That's really good marriage <laughs> advice. <laughs> that's good relationship advice. Forget the workplace. That's just good life advice. Right. <laughs> it is so easy. I think to, to respond and, and edit or double down or, you know, we've all, we've all had our messes, but I think to your point about putting your space, your brand is putting your space or finding, 
what I forget the ability to put space between yourself and things that aggravate you, right? Yeah. That's your yeah. brand. And that is so powerful because it is, how do I want to show up in this moment? Let's think about the words I'm going to use. Let's be intentional about the language I'm going to use. And let's think about the end goal. What is the still end goal of what we're trying to do? Is it that I want to be right? Well, that's not a great end goal. Is it, are we trying to serve our customers and provide a valuable product for them? Okay, then we can get there a variety of ways. So let's just dial it back a bit for sure. Oof. Joe, Joe, at the heart of everything you just said is the concept of effective marketers, effective leaders are more concerned with what is right than being right. Yes. And I have spent a lot of my career focused on being right. And you know, as I hopefully mature as a parent or as a spouse or as a author or a podcast host or you know, advisor to firms, I ask myself, am I focused on what is right versus being right? And the difference is your ego versus outcome, right? Is, mm. is are you focused on what's right for the client, for the vendor, for the marketplace, for the shareholders? For And usually if you're focused on what's right for them, it will come around and be right for you. And it's tempting to focus on being right. Yes. To serve your ego, to serve your brand. And I've been I've been focused on that way too many times. I think we are all guilty, but you're right about the the, you know, I like to call it being customer obsessed or client obsessed and really focusing on what they want. And you talk early in the book, and I am trying to find the challenge. It is, I believe probably challenge one. It's the customer yeah, stupid. It's the customer stupid, right? And making sure that you are focused on the customer, comma, stupid. And, Novel idea. Right? <laughs> it can be so easy, like going back to what we talked about, about the ego, it can be so easy to just focus on what our own personal agendas are in the moment instead of recognizing what are we all here talking about? What are we all here trying to accomplish? So knowing that that was lesson one, I wanted to kind of back into that a little bit. How do you help recenter yourself and others when there's what I like to call scope creep, where they're starting to look further and further and further on about probably their own or their own project's agendas? How do you recenter them and focus on the customer, comma, stupid? You said it's easy. It's not easy. It's natural. Yeah. It's expected. It's more than easy, right? It's commonplace. Yeah. It's commonplace for us to be obsessed with our mission, our purpose, our systems, our profit, our third quarter. It's all very natural. It's easy and natural and commonplace. What is not easy and unnatural, which means it adds distinctive value, is to be the, the same voice in the room that has that gravitational pull away from the hairball, the hairball being your company. Yeah. And focus on the client and represent the client in meetings, not as the always antagonist, right? But to be that that sort of magnet away from the natural focus on the inside, but the focus on the outside. I'll tell you, I heard once where the best salespeople are not the ones that know to memory their first, second, third, and fourth quarter revenue goals, but they know their clients' first, second, and mm. third, fourth goals, quarter revenue goals. It's the salespeople who are obsessed with helping their clients meet their revenue goals is when they meet their own revenue goals. So I think the biggest aha in this chapter is it's so, to quote you, easy, natural, commonplace to be sucked into that vortex on everything about your company 
when yes, you have to balance that, right? Because you could you could you could customer obsess yourself out of a job, right? If you're not yes. playing to the culture of your firm, right? But you also could be a transition figure, and just you know, without being a jackass, you could say so. How do we know that? Yeah. Which customers told us that? Who's saying that? Does that customer really need that, or do they need something else? Do we know? Because mm. so much groupthink happens, especially at the executive level in organizations. Not because we're bad people, it's because you know we sit in strategy meetings all day long and make stuff up. Yeah. So the the the, the chapter it's the customer stupid. It's really patterned after the 1992 U.S. presidential election, right when right. Governor Clinton and Senator Gore were running against incumbent President George H.W. Bush and Senator Quayle. And, and they had come off like, I think, a 93% approval rating yes. from the first Gulf War. And the economy was going to hell in a handbasket. And it was James Carville and Paul Begala that put that sign on that Little Rock, Arkansas war room that said, it's the economy, stupid. Yep. And it stuck with me for 30 years, right? That it's the customer, stupid, just to remind ourselves that's why we're here. Yeah. It centers yourself. It grounds the conversation. It anchors you in what you want to do. And it allows you a port in the storm. Hey, this is what we're doing. It's gesture to the big sign. This is what we want to do. And and I think even into that, you talk about in the other challenge about everybody is a marketer, right? So it's not just the marketing department, but you've got brand ambassadors that like your employees are brand ambassadors, whether or not they realize it. Right? You read the book. Yes. You've read the book. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. <laughs> it's so true. That stuck with me so much because I can think of a variety of situations where I know folks have taken a positive or negative opinion of different companies based solely on their direct interactions with someone that Absolutely. they know works there. And so Absolutely. how can we continue to empower associates to recognize, because I've had these conversations with folks before, just recognizing that they're brand ambassadors and being aware you, of their own yeah. personal brand, right? Yeah, I, it's just, it's training. Yeah. It's just training and conversations. I walked into a restaurant three days ago with my son, my three sons. We walked, and for me, it's always like, I'm waiting to see what's going to happen at the podium. We eat out a lot. I walked up and there was a lady, I don't know, probably early 20s, that looked up from something she was doing and she said, could I help you? And I almost wanted to say, yes, I'm here to have my tires changed. <laughs> well, what the hell? Can you help me? I'm going to give you three seconds to figure out why do you think we're here? Right. I've got three boys. You're a Mexican restaurant. It's 1210 on a Saturday. Why do you think we're here? Right. So, so, so let's do this over. How about welcome to Nacho Mamas? Right. Four of you for lunch. Hey guys, how's it going? Right. Looking forward to some quesadillas. Come with me. I mean, there's so many ways that, you know what? No one trained her. Yeah. Nobody sat down and said, this is the kind of customer experience we want. Here's yes. how you greet a customer by, in fact, Here's not how you greet a customer. Here's what you should be doing before the customer walks in. Yes. You want to create eye contact. You want to assess, do you think the whole party's here? Are they not? I mean, I'm surprised how many times I'll walk into a restaurant at 7.30 on a Friday night. Um, are you here for dinner? Oh, no, I'm here for a manicure. <laughs> of course I'm here for dinner. What kind of crazy question is that? Right. So my point is, every you know, I'm probably not going back there. Yeah. I'm not going back there because the owner doesn't care enough to train their staff to recognize that they're brand ambassadors. Now, hopefully that was a funny 
role play for your listeners, and I'm not totally psychotic, but you all have been there, right? Yes. Is everyone is a brand ambassador, and you have to teach people that because not every employee understands that naturally. You cannot over-communicate this to your team members. Yeah. And it is about, oh, to your point, over-communicating, continuing to state, this is the brand of Franklin Covey. This is the this brand This is of- our experience that no. you are responsible yes. for co-creating in every environment. Yes. This is what we believe. This is what how we have you align with this. And even, you know, even in different um, groups within the broader company of this is, you know, XYZ business units brand as it relates to the broader Franklin Covey experience. So we want to make sure our communications that we send out to the group align, whether visually, language, where we're going, just everything is uniform as far as what we want our brand to be and it aligns with the broader group, it's not easy for folks to see that. Folks can put their heads down, do their work, and just go, I'm clocking in, I'm clocking out, without recognizing the value that they have as an individual brand ambassador. That's called congruence. I show up to church on time, A, because that's important to me, but I work for a productivity time management firm, right? So not everyone, not every employee is going to be passionate about your brand. It's why screening and coaching and mentoring and leaders recognizing that their job is to achieve results with and through other people. And so you've got to make sure that when you're hiring people that they're passionate about being a brand ambassador or you can't work here. Yeah. So that part cannot be overstated enough when you're looking to hire folks from the outside is are they... Do you feel that they have a good sense of what the company is? Do you feel they have a good enough sense about the company culture? Do you feel that they will fit in with the overall brand that you're building, right? And that, and you know, some some of it can be taught if you feel that they have it, they're eager, they're excited, they're ready to go. Some of it can't be, and it's difficult, I think, to make those assessments, but it's so key to the overall culture and just environment of becoming those individual brand ambassadors. And I get it's not easy, right? I'll bet you if I talk to the owner of Nacho Mama's, I made up the name of the restaurant, but it's not far from the actual name of the restaurant. And I'll bet you if I interviewed her, interviewed him, they'd say, oh my gosh, you know how hard it is to find someone to become a host, right? How hard the labor market is. People don't want to work. They want to do this or that and the other. I understand it's hard. So you've got to find people that have a passion about working or you've got to train them to recognize you can't work here if you don't do this and try to connect it to like their broader mission and remind them that you're investing in them. These are skills you will take away from this Nacho Mama's restaurant. This will help you in life forever because I'm not sure I'm going back. Not because the waitress was rude. She wasn't rude. She just didn't care. Right. And I want to spend my $54 on a Saturday afternoon at some place. Who cares? Right. Absolutely. How did I manage to spend $54 on kids quesadillas, by the way? You've been there. Yes. Uh, That's not hard. I I look at it and I go, this can't be right. And then I (laughs) break down the cost and go, well, I mean, everything is total love. I just, I guess I, uh, this is my life now. This is, this is the baseline of which I'm going to pay from here until eternity. So, all right. Uh, Try, try going snow skiing. Oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Put a comma in that number. (laughs) Not not Uh, a digit, a comma. Right. (laughs) Um, Didn't your parents spend $1,000 taking you and your siblings out snow skiing, Joe? 
I've never been snow skiing. It is on my bucket list. I'm here in Texas. We don't see February of this year was the first time we had had all of the area blanketed in snow and that's so, not snow skiing that's just that's, no, i don't know what that is well yeah. for us it was <laughs> just make sure i know the heat I didn't know. go out but well, you have an open yeah. invitation to come to utah <laughs> and stay with our family and um go snow snowing snow skiing just bring your wallet i appreciate it you got <laughs> it i love it i want to wrap or as we're starting to wrap up this part of the of the podcast i want to talk about chapter 28 developing your storytelling craft or challenge 28. And I have to say, I love the call out of Donald Miller. And I have to say, it wasn't until you had him on your On Leadership podcast where I recognized that Donald Miller is not the same Donald Miller that I grew up in college reading. He is. He's the same exact person. I'm just making a point to say, I knew blue like jazz Donald Miller. And yes. that is the Donald Miller. I have a book of his underlined, dog-eared, bookmarked. I bought his book and gave it out time after time after time. And then I see him as this as this corporate guy. And yeah. I have to say, the the freshman college in me went, oh, man, that guy sold out. And then I went, no, no. <laughs> you know, this is – I, like, reverted back to 18 years old again. And then I went, no, no, no. He has taken his innate ability to tell a story and has extrapolated that out to impact a variety of folks about building a story brand. And I think it's so interesting, the the part where you, you talked about the interview where he assessed uh, somebody's website and he thought that the painter sold Italian food because his his website was a mess and his message wasn't clear about what he wants to what he wants to say. So I want to know from your perspective when you are in the room with people and they're pitching these different marketing ideas, right? And they're kind of all over the place. How are you able to to keep folks, I would say aligned and centered about the goal so they're not uh so it doesn't look like franklin covey is selling italian food right as an example and how do how are you able to like i guess the question i'm trying to ask is how can one both give the creative freedom to like hey no idea is a bad idea at first and then funnel that into a cohesive marketing strategy well if i knew that my books would sell as well as donald miller's (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're right. I think Donald Miller is an absolute genius. Yes. A genius at practicality. Yes. He's, he wrote a course, Building a Story Brand, Marketing Made Simple, Business Made Simple. If you're not following Donald Miller on social media, you should and subscribe to everything he writes and buy everything he authors. You know, as I turned 50, I became more pragmatic, right? I got less caught up in the florid words and the multi-syllable descriptions. And I started to really realize how important it is that customers find themselves in your message. If they yes. don't find themselves in your message, they don't care what, you know, Grandpa Pete's mission was for your company. They don't understand why you bought your first crane. Yeah. They don't care. I mean, they don't care what they, they don't care. Right. Um, you care, but they don't care. So I think it takes an unnatural level of humility. Yes. It takes an unprecedented level of vulnerability. Words that I keep using over and over again to sit down and say, what is the circumstance our customer is in? What problem are they trying to solve? Did they put money behind that problem? What do they call that problem? Yes. And let's aim everything at what they need. 
Yes. Not at what we need. Now, it's balanced, of course, with the genius of Steve Jobs that always, always would say, our customers don't know what they need. We make it and tell them they need it. Yes. I get that. Unless you're Steve Jobs, <laughs> I suggest you try to become Donald Miller and check your ego. Yeah. And uh, your, your question is a tough one. It's a great question. How do you balance that? I think you want to model what you want to see in your team members, right? Mm-hmm. By demonstrating humility and vulnerability and being open to influence in the least suspected moments by the perhaps least suspecting people. Yeah. And live and learn. Yes. You're not going to get them all right. You're not going to tell every story the way the client wants to hear it. But if you have a bent, a mindset, a leaning toward your client away from your own needs, man, the odds that it's going to pay back are exponential. You bring up the four different forms to a story, the to win, to escape, to retrieve, or to stop. And I think it seems so simple, but broken out is so obvious that, yes, this is how we need to form our client's story. They're trying to win. They're trying to retrieve. They're trying to stop. They're trying to... I just lost the page where I wrote the note. They're trying... I think escape. Yes, escape. Escape, escape right. So, so knowing that perspective, it's, it is... I see how obvious it can be to ensure that you have the client, the customer, the customer, comma, stupid, in mind when you're forming these different strategies. And you're right about the bent. And yeah, you do, if you're Steve Jobs, you do tell people what they need. We're not all Steve Jobs. You've got to make sure you have the perspective. So knowing those four, per, four different story forms, how would you advise folks? Because you are correct. This is not just a marketing book. It is a leadership book. So what would you leave people with as far as advice to take even something as simple as those four different story yeah. forms and apply yeah. it to their own uh, professional and personal lives. You know, uh, my next book is Job Mess to Career Success. And uh, I have an Ignite Your Genius career coaching series at my website. And I talk a lot about competencies and skills of great professionals. I think the ability to communicate is the most important skill. Maybe, maybe next to being trusted, being trustworthy, the ability to communicate, whether it be through your own expressive words verbally, whether it be through your body language, whether it be through the written written word, you've got to be able to communicate effectively to persuade people, to sell people, to influence people. There's no better communication form than storytelling. That doesn't mean you have to go to the Renaissance Festival and don an outfit. That's not my jam. (laughs) I don't mind that. I just don't do that. Sure. But storytelling, being able to tell a story, to paint a picture where people can find themselves in and relate to is a remarkable art. And I, everybody I know has learned it. I don't know anybody that came out of the womb a great storyteller. I mean, some people are naturally good at piano or some people are really good at, you know, calculus. Right. Never took calculus. I have no idea what calculus is even about. Never took it. I have no idea. Storytelling is a skill you build, right? Like, like writing is a skill you build. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I've written thousands of press releases and the CEO has marked every single one of them up. A, he's a perfectionist, but B, I took a lot of learning from that. So I think it's enormously important to always be building your storytelling skill. In the book, I talk about how in the evenings, after 15 hours a day, I go up and I tell my three boys stories and I start with a prince and it ends with a dragon and then there's a castle and a spaceship and a Wonder Woman comes and then there's like, you know, 
farting going on. I mean, whatever I can do to keep right. them going, right? <laughs> and, I, and I see how far I can go. So, you know, you talked about to win, to retrieve, to stop, to escape. Don't get hooked up in that. Those are general, general guidelines. You know, maybe any story you tell about your company, how does your client win? Mm. How does your client escape? How do they retrieve dignity? How do they win something? Storytelling is enormously valuable skill that you learn through practice. Sometimes uncomfortable practice, role playing with your kids alone in the car, but it will become for you a great marketing tool when you can tell a story about your product or service that their client can find themselves in that allows them to win, to retrieve, to stop, or to escape. That is so powerful, and I love it. We are going to move on to the next part of the podcast. So this is a segment I call Things to Check Out. So it's a segment where I provide one thing that I'm reading and one thing I'm listening to, and I ask my guests to provide recommendations as well for the listeners. Yeah. So I will go first. So I am currently reading, or I would say rereading, because this really helped me out back in December uh, when I had a different career shift, but is the Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias, which my good friend Scott Jeffrey Miller sent me, and it was so powerful and so oh, helpful for me to ground me in a career shift, to ground me in my perspective and really set myself up for success. I've referenced it. I've quoted it. I've recommended it. So I recommend it here. I know I've recommended it on the podcast before, but I wanted to be intentional about re-recommending it today and to thank you for putting that book in my hands because it I don't even recall sending it to you. I'm embarrassed, but thank you for okay. that. Are you sure I sent it yes, to you? Yes, <laughs> 100% positive. I love it. And then what I'm listening to is I have to recommend, you brought it up before, On Leadership by yours truly, Scott Miller. The specific episodes, I know I mentioned it, but the one featuring Donald Miller is so good. Folks absolutely have to pick it up. And you and just to give folks another teaser about why you should listen to it, there's also Nir Al, who's been on this show before, talked about indistract, Indistractable. Yes. And then uh, Matthew McConaughey, uh, you know, you've talked with him. Good. All right, all right, yeah. all right. So yeah, definitely, folks, check, the, check that out. So, Scott, who are you reading and who are you listening to? Well, I feel like now I need to talk about detox because no. you just <laughs> talked all about me. But that would be disingenuous. It's okay. Although I'm delighted to be on today. Um, you know, what, I, what I've been reading is Uncomfortable Conversation with a Black Man. Yeah. I'm from Emmanuel Acho. I actually interviewed him today on our podcast. It oh, airs next that's week. That's fantastic. Really powerful. Uh, great book. Learned a lot. Excellent book. Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Uh, what am I listening to? Goodness, you know, I don't listen to a lot because I'm so focused on reading so much. Sure for this massive podcast. I mean, Emmanuel Acho came off Ellen's TV program and came on to our podcast. So as ours gains more traction, like yours gains more traction, right? I find myself reading everybody's book cover to cover like you do or try to yes. your best, right? To offer a great interview. So I'm listening. I'm probably listening to me too much. <laughs> it's all, I don't know. I feel I feel self-serving. No. I'm not listening to anything I'd recommend right now. I'm reading a lot. I read Love books. It. I don't listen to books. I tell you, I just interviewed Jan Sincero from the You Are a Badass series. Oh, nice. Jen, Jen Sincero. Oh, she was amazing. Brought the house down. Highly recommend Jen Sincero's books, You Are a Badass. Um, and I should be listening to your podcast. 
So I'll, I'll, I'll take detox under strong consideration. <laughs> right. All good. All good. All right. Well, now we are moving on to the last part of the show. It's the dad joke of the week. It's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests, so it works out. But I do like to put my guests on the spot. Scott, do you have any jokes you would like to offer up today? Oh my gosh, I have like PTSD. I'm just now remembering this from the last yes. podcast. And had my assistant prepped me properly, I would have thought of one or had one of my sons here. It's all good. This, this is horrifying because I think I'm a funny person, but that I can't, I, again, two years later, manufacture a single joke it's that's appropriate, good. that's appropriate for your right, show. Right. I got a few, but I think it might tarnish my viewership. So I got nothing. I just embarrassed good. again. It's all good. I've got, I've got, I've got several. So all good. So Scott, I got to ask you, what do you get when you coddle a cow? What do you get when you coddle a cow? Coddle a cow. Chalet mignon. Oh no! Spoiled milk. Spoiled. Oh, <laughs> right. thanks a lot, Drew. All I needed was a joke. And once again, Joe. Okay, Joe, if you invite me back on for job mess to career success, yes. I promise you I'm going to bring a I'm going to bring an earth shattering joke because I can top that one. I love I mean, it. I, I can't apparently. I can't. Apparently. Well, I've got two Thank more. You, I've got two more for you. So first of all, what's the secret to a good elevator pitch, Scott? Letting the person in the elevator find themselves in your pitch. Same thing as same same thing as Donald Miller, right? Right. Um, cater it so that they find themselves in your pitch. Yes. What are they trying to win? Retrieve, stop, or escape? That is great advice. For the joke, it just has to work on many levels. Just thank has- you. <laughs> Thank you. I got it. I got it. You're now you're like rubbing salt in the wounds because you've now got a dumb dumb for your job. Scott, I love it. If people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? What's embarrassing is you weren't really asking me a serious question. You were just telling a joke, and I like gave you this great you answer. Gave me I a thought, fantastic and, answer that's challenging. And then you 31. bailed me out. I'm embarrassed. I I need to have more fun. Joe, we gotta go have a drink. Yeah. I'm working too much. I love it. Working well. A, <laughs> Good grief. You know, I'm so horrified because you were telling a second joke and here I was trying to give you a really valuable answer so your serious audience could take great value away up to the very last minute. You just wanted me to say, I don't know. <laughs> it was good, though. It is a first here on the Detox Podcast. I mean, we are 178 episodes in. This is episode 178. And not once has somebody given a legit answer to the joke question. <laughs> Listen, I'm not on the spectrum. It would be okay if I was, but that's the kind of answer that you get from a very serious person, right? Aye, aye, aye. I love it. Well, Scott, if people want to follow you, what's the best way for them to do that? Is this a joke? No, it's not a joke. No jokes. The joke's like, oh my gosh, Google Scott Miller and I'm bound to come up. Visit scottjeffreymiller.com. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, you name it. I'm there. And Joe, thank you for. Uh, embarrassing me twice in the same episode <laughs> about me not having a joke and then you telling me a joke and me thinking you wanted a serious answer. It's all good. I need to go get a drink. It's so good. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a delight. I cannot, cannot wait to have you back on again. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. 
That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.